All right. So we're going to take uh, the next four weeks. Now that our Advent series is done, we're going to take the next four weeks now, and we're going to remind ourselves of today, our vision statement, and then we're going to be looking at our three core values the next few weeks. Um, and then after that, we'll start our next bigger sermon series, uh, and we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. And so um, hopefully that'll be a fun time for us as a church. Looking forward to it. Uh, so much good stuff in that book, and, and it gets us to Jesus in really effective ways. And so I'm um, looking forward to us having that time together. All right. So vision statements uh, within organizations can easily get lost. And so my hope in this coming year, and it, we're guilty of this here at Center Church, and I've been uh, part of other organizations where it's just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But one of my hopes in this coming year is that you would not just know our vision statement here at Center Church, but that you would passionately agree with it and live in the way that the vision statement says. And part of the reason I, I'm advocating for passionate agreement with it is because of the fact that it's it's nothing outside of of a normal christian call what it means to be a christian and so um, that that's part of my reasoning for wanting you to passionately agree with it so let's read it here um center church vision statement spreading the gospel of jesus christ through word and deed among our church and beyond. The aim of Center Church is to make much of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and to share him with others. And so we're going to talk about our vision statement today by looking at Jesus and, and then also engaging a bit with our culture as well. So in John 8, 12, Jesus makes an explicit statement about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And I want to use this verse today uh, as a means of kind of bridging to our vision statement. Now, this is one of those statements that Jesus makes about himself that can be a bit ambiguous or become maybe something that Christians mindlessly recite to one another. So, one of the best ways to gain understanding of, about the Bible is to read other parts of the Bible that speak about a certain theme or a theological um, topic. And, and so what I want to do this morning is, is I want to let the Bible speak about this idea of light and darkness. And so I want to do something that's called biblical theology. Okay, so biblical theology, when I say that, I'm I'm basically just saying the unfolding revelation of the Bible, okay, so is it, it's revealing Jesus as it goes through the Bible, and then as it's moving towards the full and final revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the biblical story is progressing and unfolding towards its final point of Jesus Christ. And so I want to do what's called some biblical theology, kind of walk a little bit through the Bible and see how it speaks about light and identifies ultimately with Jesus. So we're going to start in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1-3. And we read there, and God said, let there be light. 
and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So right away, in God's good creation, God brings about light. And what he says about it is he calls it good. Okay, now we should understand these are the first recorded words of God. Him saying, let there be light. So right from the get-go, light is a symbol of God's goodness. And it's also a symbol of God's power. Clearly, what God wants to do is connect the idea of light and its goodness to himself. Okay, so the goodness of light is not connected to the sun or the moon or any other created thing. Light and its goodness is connected to God. What we also read here in Genesis 1-3 is that light is a distinct contrast to darkness. Okay, light is a distinct contrast to darkness. And this physical truth will have massive reverberating uh, realities, spiritual realities for us as we walk through the Bible. Okay, as I was reading through Genesis 1 uh, this past week, I noticed something that I had not seen before. It's always been there, but I have not seen it before. It continually says, and there was evening and there was morning. That, that's not what I had never seen before. I'd seen that uh, many times. But what I noticed was, as it says this, it never says morning first. It, it always says, and there was evening, and there was morning. And, and it made me think about the ways in which I think about my days, okay? In my construct, and I think many other people speak this way as well, morning comes first, right? And then we're always looking towards the end of the day. So we're always looking towards darkness, okay? But the way it's written in Genesis, it's as though the author wants us to know that what's on the horizon is not darkness, but light. That daybreak is dawning, that hope is kindling, that light is coming, and it's beckoning us to look to the light. It's almost as though readers are being taught how to read the Bible, how to live our lives, how to believe, so that when our Savior is killed in darkness, we're being called to look beyond the darkness to the dawn of the morning, to the light. There is hope that is out on the horizon. Okay, light is how we are also able to just see God's creation. All the beauty that we see in God's creation, we can see it because light exposes it. Also, light is how God's creation is sustained, how things grow. Now, if we jump into the second book of the Bible, so move from Genesis, now we're going to Exodus. What we find there is God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. And he does this by sending plagues upon Egypt that become increasingly worse. And so then the second to last plague is darkness. And we read in Exodus 10:21 that this is a darkness to be felt. So it's not just that it's dark, but it's so consuming, so heavy that people could feel the darkness. Now, Darkness makes it so that we cannot see. 
And being unable to see God's goodness, being unable to see the goodness in his creation and to take part in the good that God is doing in this, uh, the good that God is doing in this world is evidence of the curse. So when we can't see God's goodness all around us, this is evidence of things not being right of some level of darkness being imposed upon us, physically or spiritually. Now we know darkness in the Bible is a symbol of death. Israel experienced darkness as they were enslaved in Egypt. And so in the middle of the night, in literal darkness, God's presence is seen in a pillar of fire. And this light, this fire goes before Israel and leads them out of darkness. We come to see this physical example of what happened in the Exodus is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. As he is swallowed up in darkness on the cross, only to conquer the darkness of death and show himself as the light of the world who leads people out of spiritual darkness. Furthermore, when Jesus leaves earth, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which is envisioned in Acts 2 as being these little tongue-like pillars of fire coming to rest on his followers, evidence of how he leads people out of spiritual darkness and into spiritual light. In Psalm 27, King David speaks of God being his light and his salvation. So again, we see this distinct connection with light and God's salvation. They are intertwined intricately. And at the end of the Old Testament, in the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi spoke of a coming day when the Son of Righteousness will rise. And God's Son, Jesus, fulfills this idea as his death is the means for righteousness to shine on those who believe in him. The New Testament then describes what happens in physical creation as well as spiritual recreation as light shining into darkness in John 1.5. And a great promise attached to this is that darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness cannot overcome light. We see this depicted even in Jesus' birth as his location is identified by a bright star that invades the darkness of night. And so then when people believe in Jesus, when someone believes in this light of the, the world, what is happening is they are being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But Satan is going to use every tool at his disposal to frustrate this. And we read in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He's making people think he is what he is not. And so in doing this, he's seeking to blind people to truth, to the light of the gospel. But the Bible makes clear Satan will be exposed and all will be seen for what it is. And we move then to the very end of the Bible 
And what we see at the end of the Bible is how it's connected to the way that things started at the beginning in creation. In Revelation 21, 23, 23, we read there, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So this is saying that the light that is seen in heaven is through God's glory, and the lamp of it is through the Lamb, which is Jesus himself. Now, if you would go back to Genesis 1-3, and you would read through Genesis 1, that whole chapter. So God declares in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. But it wasn't until day 4 when God hung the sun and the moon in the sky. So light was there before the sun was there. So, so what this is telling us is that the true light the light of the world, the light that we need it is not the sun in the sky, but the Son of God, who is Jesus. And that's how things will be for eternity in heaven. This is what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, as it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light that we need is not merely daylight. The light, the exclusive light of the world is Jesus himself. It is his glory and God's glory that's being displayed through Jesus Christ. Now, I just went through, I don't know, eight, ten verses. Uh, we could do this all day with this theme of light and darkness. We could swap out these eight verses and grab another eight and, and just keep doing this over and over. Because the Bible harps on this theme and teaches us through this theme continuously. But what the Bible makes abundantly clear is that goodness and life is found in Jesus in Jesus alone. He is the true light. And it's not like he shines just a little bit brighter than other lights, as though the lights of Hollywood are just a little dimmer than Jesus. His light far outshines any other light. His light announces salvation. His light is sure and true. His light chases away darkness. His light is good in every sense of the word. So in a very practical way, when we walk into a dark room, not knowing exactly where a piece of furniture might be, or if there's toys that are on the floor that we might step on, and, and so we walk into this dark room and, and we flip a light on, we're making it so that we can see what's going on in the room. But this is speaking to a greater spiritual reality of how God has invaded this dark world. And he is the light that shines into this world. So, so God gives us these pictures, these reminders that are built into our everyday 
lives. We, we can think about it when we walk into a dark room and turn a light on. We, we can also think about this. When the sun rises every morning and it drives the darkness of night away. This is what God is doing on a cosmic scale in the spiritual realm, knowing that the physical realities that we live in are always pointing to greater spiritual realities. This is what God does for us spiritually. He runs into the darkness of sin, and he, being the light of the world, exposes the horrors of the dark, but doesn't just expose the horrors of the dark. He rescues us. He picks us up. He leads us into the light to himself. So Jesus is the light of the world, the exclusive light of the world. But I want to read another Bible verse that may seem a bit confusing to us after all that we've read. So Matthew 5, 14, this is Jesus speaking here, okay? And he's instructing his followers And Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. When we read something like this, it should be one of those things that just kind of makes us go, huh? Like, what is going on here? Clearly, Jesus is the light of the world. But now Jesus is saying, you, the church, his church, his followers are the light of the world. So so who is the light of the world and how does this all work itself out? So first, in one sense, Jesus' statement is shocking. I mean, in our moments of honesty, those few moments of honesty when we can really be truthful with who we are, we know that light lacks in us, okay? That good, holiness, righteousness, that, that those realities lack in us because we love the darkness. We run to evil. We seek comfort in sin. But Jesus said this. Jesus is the one who's saying this, that his church, his followers, in spite of their sin, are the light of the world. So it has to be true. What Jesus is doing here is he's demonstrating how closely his church is identified with him. As he is the light of the world, his church, as they trust in him, as they are united to him, is also called to display this light. We are married to Jesus. He is in us, and we are in him. So as Jesus comes into the world being light and chasing away darkness, now we are called to live our lives in such a way where the same thing can happen, where darkness exists, when we walk into those places that the light of Jesus might shine. It might expose evil. It might drive away darkness. We, if we are Christians, believing the gospel, receiving forgiveness of our sins, for our sins, by Jesus' death on the cross, we have the light of the world living in us. And so we are called to let it be seen by others, to drive away darkness in the spheres in which we inhabit. Now, it's really vital for us to distinguish the difference between us being the light and 
Jesus being the light. As Jesus remarks that he is the light of the world, he's speaking to the fact that he is the actual source of light, that that glory is found in him. And so what's, what's being communicated when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he's talking about his light accomplishing things, purchasing things, justifying people who need to be justified, saving people who need to be saved, who cannot be saved by their, by their own strength. His light then is the focal point. His light is one that cannot be replicated. So no one else can be a light in the way that Jesus can. We cannot be the light in the same way that Jesus is the light, yet he calls his church the light of the world. So in what way are we a light? In what ways are we the light of the world? We become a light as Jesus lives in us. As we are connected to him, trusting in him, as he is the head and we are the body. He's the one calling the shots. He is the one in charge. He is the one leading. We are following him as our leader. We never become the light in the way Jesus is, but he kindly, graciously allows us the privilege of resembling him, okay? And the way in which we are the light of the world is not by accomplishing and purchasing and justifying and saving. No, we are the light of the world by displaying, by pointing to the light, by testifying about the light, and, and even enjoying the light of Jesus. So often, I think, we think we have this great pressure to keep the light burning, that that. If we don't work really hard, if we don't live this perfect light, if we don't life, if we don't do things just the way we're supposed to, that the light then is going to get squelched. And so we'll engage in whether it's spiritual disciplines, uh, we'll do all these things, jump through religious hoops, we'll serve people, we'll do all of these things, but we're doing them because we're trying to keep the light burning, not understanding that we are not the one who keeps the light burning in the first place. And so as we do all of these things, it ends up exhausting us, it makes us bitter, it causes us to become begrudging Christians. And that's not God's design for us at all. We fail to realize that we simply get to rest in the warmth of the light that Jesus provides. It's not on us to keep the light burning. The light is what empowers us to do those things. His love fuels our love for other people. His kindness towards us drives our kindness towards other people. His sacrifice for us compels us to sacrifice for other people. So the Christian life is not a call for us to to try and shine as brightly as Jesus has shown 
or to be Jesus in any way. The call of the Christian life is to look at the light, not to be the light in the sense of being Jesus, but to look at him, the exclusive light of the world, to marvel at his light, to admire his glory, and then to point and to tell others about him, to see him for who he is, not try to be him. That's an impossible reality for us. Senator Church, I hope that you hear really good news in this. This is really good news. This is part of the hope of the gospel. Jesus saves us, and we get to enjoy his salvation. We get to live in what he does. Similarly, he is the light of the world. We get to enjoy him as the light. He, he gets to bear the weight, the yoke, the burden of being the light. He's the one who hung on the cross. We're not called to hang on the cross. We can't accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. We get to bask in the light, marvel at his light, admire his light, rest in his light, be warmed by his light, but not be the light in the purchasing, accomplishing, accomplishing, justifying, saving way. We are the light by pointing to him and testifying about him. All right. Now, it's not hard for us to see that this world that we're in is filled with darkness, okay? Evil abounds. Sin is rampant. We have political division that is tearing apart families and friends and churches. Greed is everywhere. Judgmental thoughts and anger are crouching at the door of our hearts continuously. As the nation of Egypt felt a physical darkness many years ago, we now feel a spiritual darkness. Like, like it, it's something we can feel it, it, as part of our existence, every day of our lives. God has placed you where you are with the friendships and the relationships that you have to be his light in the darkness, wherever that, whatever that context might be for you. God has placed you there to be his light in the darkness. We are joined to him and are now called to join him in the work that he is doing in this world. And so this is how I'm asking you to embrace our vision statement at Center Church, and to do it in all of life, okay? We want to be a people who is about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ through word and deed among our church and beyond. Okay, so, so every realm of our lives, we want to be about making much of Jesus and seeing his gospel, the good news of Jesus, advance, spread wherever we are. So, so that means in your career, as you go to work, as you interact with your coworkers, 
that we would be mindful of trying to seek the spread of the gospel as you engage in politics or political conversations, that our desire would be to see the gospel inform those conversations and the gospel spread through those conversations. As you spend time on social media, that your desire would be to see the gospel spread through your interactions, through what you post. As you spend a day together as a family, as you're engaged in kids' sports, that, that in all of these activities, that your desire would be to see the gospel spread in the hobbies that you engage in, that you would be mindful of seeking the spread of the gospel in every part of life. As we gather together as a church in various contexts, or we gather with non-Christians in various contexts, that our desire would be to see the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ through word and deed among our church and beyond. A, a, co a common problem for us today is that we can label ourselves Christians and then live in, in any which way we want. So, so the way that this oftentimes can take shape is, you know, someone can put in their social media bio, like I'm a Christian, but then if you look through their history, maybe, maybe they're spewing hate, okay? or just creating controversy. Or maybe this looks like being affiliated with a church, but being engaged only so far as it's a convenience for us. Titus 1 says this, Some claim to know God, but deny him by their works. This is detestable. To say that we are believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus, but then living in a way that's contra to that is detestable in God's eyes. What this does is spread lies. It doesn't spread the gospel. I want us to be pressed by this because it's apparent in our culture, there are many people who think they are Christians, who advertise themselves as Christians, but don't live that way at all. And I don't want us to be that way. I want to press us on this. I want to be people who say one thing and live the same way, that we would be people of integrity and people of, a, of character, people that when we are talking about the gospel, people can look at our lives and see consistency in all that we are. A Christian follows Jesus. He sets the pace. We're not a co-pilot. He's in charge. We're following him. So it's not about our preferences. It's not about our convenience. It's almost like in this way, people want to try and mix light and dark in their lives. A little bit of light, a little bit of dark, and, and not, not too much, just enough that we can still see what we need to see. But, but this can't be the case for Christians. 1 John 1.5 says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. None whatsoever. Jesus is 
the light of the world. The gospel is the message that declares this. This is what Christians are to be about. And so I am pleading with you and with myself that we would commit to this reality, that we would be laser focused on seeking the spread of the gospel in all of our lives. If we say we are Christian, then our actions must be consistent with this. We are the light of the world as we trust in Jesus and we point people to Jesus. We can't just assume this. We can't say we're Christians and then just assume everything is okay. Our lives, our actions, who we are when we're alone, when we're with other people has to be played in concert with this declaration that we are Christians. Two points of gospel application for us as we wrap up this morning. First of all, uh, we read here in 1 John 1, 5, um, there is no darkness in Jesus. There is no darkness in Jesus. You think about this. What is there to be afraid of? This is something I've been preaching to myself this week. What is there to be afraid of? If there is no darkness in Jesus, just pure goodness in him, there is nothing that we must fear, nothing that we must be afraid of. He is safe. He is trustworthy. He is good. And this can compel us to live lives of fearlessness, to take risks for the gospel, to be courageous people. There is no darkness in Jesus. Secondly, let this truth, let this reality that there is no darkness in him expose our own hypocritical hearts. We're all guilty of this, all of, all of us, myself included. We are guilty of being hypocrites. But this is not what God calls us to. I want to read just a few verses in 1 John 5 here as we end our time together. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My prayer, what I've been praying for us this week, Center Church, is that we would admit our hypocrisy, that we would admit how maybe we're waiting in the kitty end of the pool of the gospel, understand there's so much more for us, praying that we would go all in, that we would dive into the deep end, of the gospel, that we come to the end of ourselves and any fear we have about confessing our own sin, letting Jesus shine this light, his light into every corner of our hearts. And we would get to the point where we would confess our sin 
to one another. We would ask others to speak into our lives, to run after others who are endangering themselves, that we would be gracious in speaking truth to one another, and we would care more about spreading the gospel than pleasing ourselves.